but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This is episode 210. We are coming toward the end of the WTA season, for sure. The men still have a bunch of tournaments still to play. This episode is a, a recap episode, one that normally, it feels like a February episode, where you have all those tournaments in South America and, well, tournaments all over the globe and smaller tournaments leading up to the, the hardcore swing in, in the United States, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So on the WTA side, this is sort of an anticlimax because the entire Asian swing was canceled. There will be no WTA finals. And we just have Ostrava, which just happened, and Linz, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Done. Before we get into this, this recapping of what's been going on, I want to get you on record as committing to this next episode that we're planning, that I'm trying to get you to do, trying to get you excited about. Mm. Hopefully recorded this weekend. On this episode, we're going to do a segment called Yes or Mess. And in that vein, it'll be a, a pop culture episode, standalone episode, where it's called Yes or Mess or The Pop-Off, colon, Yes or Mess. I don't know. Anyway, oh. it's, going to be, it's going to be pop culture topics that we talk about and decide whether it's a yes moment or a mess moment. Mm -hmm. Nothing too long. Hopefully like a 30, 40 minute format where we just you know pop off also halloween is coming up on yeah. when saturday i i don't know that this holiday. weekend that is I could not do, something i grew up with. i could do a little segment on uh like favorite halloween movies well that's already on the agenda because there's a bit it of is. timely news you clearly didn't read that agenda i've skimmed it you skimmed it. <laughs> no i'm talking about like horror movies Oh, I well, saw there is one the the Halloween movie Hocus Pocus. Yeah, that is the one that's we're going to be talking yeah, about. Next which week. for for millennials, it is the holiday movie period of any holiday. I saw a gay on Twitter who is younger than us. Doesn't take much <laughs> to be younger than us these days <laughs> on the Twitter sphere. Who said that he had just watched Hocus Pocus for the first time in his life, mm -hmm. and that was. You know, it's not often you find truly startling news. Oh, I thought you were going to say the internet he, anymore. he hated it. No, oh, just okay. the fact that he hadn't seen it as mm. a gay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So look out for that. You know, the past month or so of two Grand Slams back-to-back, -back, a few Masters tournaments, tennis getting back has been very exhausting. I can't imagine what it's like to actually play. And something that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, a lot of players are talking more expansively about what the mental and emotional toll of playing in a pandemic has been. Maria Sakari talked about that today. Victoria Azarenka talked about that. It's it's so much more than just prepping, just training. It's the taking of the tests, the worrying whether or not you're positive for a lot of these tennis players. They believe in this whole false positive thing being rampant. And so mm. there's the worry about whether you're going to be kicked out of a tournament unwarrantedly it has happened that was like a mariah carey adverb right there yes unwarrantedly <laughs> she of abandonedly yes 
it is my want and my right as a lamb <laughs> to make up words as I go, provided the meaning is conveyed as it yes, was. Yes, it was. Uh, but a lot of these players are also traveling with children, which adds an entire new dimension, or they're traveling without their children, mm-hmm. which is also difficult. David Goffin talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and then he subsequently tested positive. It's It's a lot for the players mm-hmm. right now, and I think... Sometimes you have to flee the country you're in illegally, hire your private jet, and land in an undisclosed location. Where in the world is Samuel Query? Zenovia? It it was a mind-blastingly wild story. (laughs) And hat tip to Anna Marseille, one of our longtime listeners, who went and checked flight paths after the Mm -hmm. story broke. (laughs) And provided evidence or educated guesses where he could have landed well there was this one private flight that (laughs) left the morning of unfortunately we don't have a denouement to this story yet but we'll talk about this a bit later first we're going to recap the results over the past few weeks we went from having no tennis for so long to having all the tennis in such a short period of time and one of the players who's played the most since resumption is alexander zverev and he's done some of the most winning. Yes, he's won two colognes. What does he smell like? Oh, ha 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 ha. <laughs> I saw so many headlines making cologne jokes mm-hmm. after he won those two tournaments and I thought they were so cheesy. Germans must be like, why do you call it that? The city <laughs> is called Köln. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of folks were wondering, why are we having a cologne one and cologne two I back sh- to back? I sure was. See, uh, can I tell you but- my false impression? I thought that Cologne 1 and 2 were two different opportunities for different groups of players to gain points and money. Apparently, that is not the case. Well, it was an opportunity for players to gain points and money, just not different groups. Right. I didn't realize that the same group of players could could play in both. These five tournaments were announced as additions to the calendars. Ostrava and on the WTA, which happened this week as well. The two Cologne events... And then there was also Sardinia, which happened, and the Kazakhstan event, which is happening now. Mm-hmm. To coincide with the Borat premiere. <laughs> well, Mackie McDonald was like, listen, how many of y'all actually watched the premiere of Borat while in Kazakhstan? <laughs> but back to this, these Cologne events. It was weird in that there was a confusion with it being Cologne 1 and Cologne 2. And then there was the actual official names of the events, which was confusing as well. The Cologne Indoors and then the Cologne Championships, both sponsored by Bet One Hulks. So it was the Bet One Hulks Indoors and the Bet One Hulks Championship. Mm-hmm. Cologne 1, Cologne 2. And then you're thinking, well, why is a betting company sponsoring these two events? If you're an idiot, like I was, and then you realize that it's a... Like a bedding company? A mattress company? Bed, bedding. What did I say? <laughs> oh, bedding as opposed to betting? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was clear. No, again, Americans don't say the, oh, the hard T. got it, got it, it got For it. many of us, the pronunciation is the exact same. Yes. Adding to the confusion is right. what you're saying. Which is why we saw there were beds as premier seating at this event. <laughs> mm-hmm. You could hang out with their tournament dog. Alexander Zarev won both of them. He seemingly won the same trophy twice. It looked the same. In effect, these two tournaments created a bubble whereby players were able to play both. 
get some points, get some money. You may take issue as I as I do with the the lack of opportunity for many lower ranked players to get into this event. Mm. Didn't seem like they cast a very wide net in making this an opportunity for as many players as possible. Well, right. These are both 250 level tournaments, but they're attracting a very high level field, as you saw. In the first week, Zverev beats Felix Auger-Aliassime in the final 6-3-6-3. This was Zverev's 20th ATP final and his 12th ATP title. Conversely for Felix, this was his 6th ATP final and his 6th straight sets loss. Still, he's 20 years old. Like, this is not the end of the world for Felix, but I'm sure still disheartening. The tournament director at St. Petersburg, Alexander Medvedev, had time to take out of his speech at the trophy presentation there to be messy and joke about Felix losing in the Cologne final. He said, hopefully Borna will not be like the finalist in Cologne where he went to the final for the eighth time and did not win. This is rude all around. Because Borna not, has two titles, first of all. It's also uh, not factual. Right. It's only the sixth time. And why would you take this opportunity on a stage to belittle a professional tennis player for no reason? Felix, who, how, how did he hurt you? It seems to me that maybe Felix was wanted for that event and he chose Cologne instead. That's what you think? What other reason is there for this guy to be out of pocket like that? It makes zero sense. Maybe he's just nasty. At that first Cologne event, Andy Mori was slated to play. However, he had to withdraw before the tournament, citing a hip problem. Yes, apparently he has a psoas injury, which is uh, one of your hip flexors, by the way. I can give you a good stretch for that if you're feeling tightness. (laughs) There's a bit of sky is falling discourse surrounding Felix at the moment because he has reached six finals and has failed to win a set in any of them. Let's remember that he is only 20 years old. A lot of prodigies come out of the gate beating top players and winning tournaments. Like, it's no problem. We're a little bit spoiled because uh, Zverev has put together an incredible career at his young age with his, what, 12, 13 titles now? Okay, but just a year ago... Maybe not even that long, maybe before this Grand Slam season, before he had success in Australia and then at the US Open, folks were looking at Zverev as a failure as well. Right. At his so little, to know at his young age. This narrative that's now starting to shift around Zverev with these two titles, actually taking a look at what he's achieved by the age of 23, 21 finals, 13 titles, they're like, oh wow, like this dude has actually had an accomplished career. (laughs) Like, why do I think of him as such a mess? It's only because he won those Masters titles in 2017, and then everyone figured, okay, we expect him to win a major soon. Like, soon, soon. Mm -hmm. But how quickly those narratives can shift, right? right? And so, let Felix be (laughs) right now. A lot of the expectation surrounding him has to do with the way he carries himself on court, the talent that is perceptible to the eye. Right. It's not necessarily based on any one big, massive moment he's had in his career. Allow him to build. Mm-hmm. And I I will agree that the double faults are alarming, that they've crept in quite a bit. 
alarming for Zverev too. And Shapovalov now. Yes. So you have these three next-gen, same-generation guys who are plagued by double faults, which seem to be nervy. Zverev has managed to, in some cases, overcome them within a match and uh, on a macro level has sort of flipped the script, getting to the U.S. Open final, winning these titles back-to-back, has kind of steered the ship correct. How do you say that? Righted the ship? Yeah, there it is. Yeah. (laughs) I was about to say corrected the ship. (laughs) Zverev moves on to the next Cologne event at the same location and just mows through it as well. He avenged his loss to Yannick Sinner at Roland Garros at the second Cologne event. And they, they it got a little bit ch- chirpy. Chippy, chirpy, yeah. there was, It was chippy, chirpy. It was a little bit snippy between them. You know how Zverev is. This is his house. Any court in Germany, it's his house. But to your point, Zverev came out of the gates in his career as a 20-year-old on fire, like doing stuff that we hadn't seen in a long time. And that included master's titles in 2017 in Rome and in Madrid, and also, of the three Masters titles that he has, he's beaten Djokovic and Federer in two of those finals in straight sets. That's not something that any old person can do. And he did it with glaring, obvious holes in his game. And so the expectation with Zverev was, well, should he ever figure out what to do if he ventures past the service line toward the net? If he gets any kind of comfort or capability at net watch out right and we've seen that added to his game this year the volley in previous years was abysmal and now it's actually a weapon it's not i mean it's not the most textbook it's not the most beautiful volley but he's been able to use it effectively he doesn't look like a fish out of water anymore when previously it was some of the most atrocious net play you'll ever see in your life (laughs) like it's not hyperbole to describe it as being horrific. So he's made incredible adjustments and improvements in that part of his game. It's also dovetailed with a serious regression in his serve. The first serve when it's on, especially indoors at these tournaments, I mean, what do you do? Mm -hmm. But this final against Diego Schwartzman in the second Cologne event is a pretty good example of what Zverev can do when he's being aggressive, looking to move forward, occasionally finishing points at net and look he hit zero double faults and nine aces in what was actually a short match tennis tv said the perfect tennis match question mark they've been on fire with the tweets lately i'll, I'll get to that later <laughs> <laughs> they said uh garin beat stan orinka today they said red hot chile pepper oh my lord get it my stars <laughs> Whew. so zverev's obviously riding a high right now there's a, a bit more of tennis to go for him the rest of the year. There's the Paris indoors that's coming. There's the World Tour finals. And while he has a lot working and clicking in his game right now, it seems that there's always just a, a combustion around the corner, be it temperamental or technical. And on top of that, if he's not being aggressive enough, which I think there's a correlation between how well his game is clicking and and how aggressive he makes himself on the tennis court, that, that can be a problem for him as well. All this is to say, I wouldn't necessarily expect this to be a, a linear trajectory upward for him. 
Wow. Not very optimistic. We shall see. The ATP has been able to do a great job of keeping events on the calendar and also getting additional events on the calendar, partly because they have a lot of presence in Europe in the fall, unlike the WTA. ATP sort of has this fall European indoor swing. The WTA spends so much time in China and Japan during this period, and unfortunately all of those tournaments are gone, canceled for this year. What they were able to hold on to was Ostrava, an indoor event in Czech Republic. And look, they got an all-Belarusian final. Azarenka, who is putting together her best season in many years. Sabalenka, a former top 10 player, really should be top 10 perennially, can hit probably the some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows on the WTA, depending on how she's playing within a match. You have a note here on the agenda. Is there anyone in tennis with a bigger gap between their best and worst tennis? And the answer is Yelena Ostapenko. (laughs) (laughs) I would say comparable. But you're... Because Sabalenka, I mean, she can miss by kilometers, even even within the same match. Right, but we're we're also factoring in serve as well, where... Ostabenko can serve in either service box <laughs> on the court. But Sabalenka put together uh, an impressive week, some comebacks. Her first match was against Coco Goff, and Arena was not playing well at the beginning of that match and was able to turn it around, did it against Soribis Tormo. Coco Goff hit a new career high ranking this week, by the way. You can't just gloss over that Soribis Tormo match because... That was beyond wild. <laughs> Soribes Tormo winning the first, what, 10 games of the match? <laughs> Up 6-love, 4-love, and then... It was very close to a double bagel. And then she didn't win another game. Mm-hmm. So she won the first 10, and then Arena won the next 12. And that was all she wrote. She beat Jennifer Brady in the semis, and then faces Victoria Azarenka, and just blitzed her. I mean... It was a combination of blitz and Vika not feeling well. Vika said she's been suffering from migraines. Or has in the past and it reared its head again mm. at this tournament. She didn't really necessarily feel like she should have played that final, but she wanted to to test herself and she was proud of being able to get through mm. it. But you could tell by the end of that first set and throughout that second set, there were balls that she wasn't even moving toward. Sabalenka also won doubles with Mertens, and during that Cerebos Tormo match, she she said she was kind of ready to pack it in, right? She's ready to go, tournament's over, and then it dawned on her, oh god, I'm still playing doubles here. And <laughs> that was part of the reason she was able to turn that around. So she wins the doubles here, and the draw here, they beat basically a murderer's row of some of the world's best doubles players. You can tell there are so few tournaments on the calendar that it's attracting an incredibly high-level field. Beat Ostapenko, Zvonareva, Shores, Dabrowski. Just a really impressive week all around. It's been an abridged season, for sure, but it was also surprising to me that this doubles team, this premier doubles team of Sabalenka and Mertens, hadn't won a tournament all year. Mm. And haven't done well in the, the slams upon resumption. And so this was their first big win since last year. Wow. In Antwerp this week, or last week, Ugo Umber beat Alex Diemenauer for his second ATP title. Does Ugo Umber play lefty or righty? 
I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know anybody who. Do you like? Do you know yet which I know Pliskova that, plays which hand? Yes, the the less famous one plays the left-handed. And her name is Christina. Okay, <laughs> that only took you like the yeah. first four years I know, of the body. You serve. know, Martina Navratilova, John McEnroe, they're both lefties. I know that. Rafa Nadal. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, perhaps famously bad with left and right. Umber saved four match points in his semifinal win against Dan Evans. Dan Evans, girl. The drama just follows. It is a circus. And the improvements. His mouth just never the stops. The drama and the improvements. To, to the chagrin of lots of folks yes, in I tennis. Mean, Evans is on the come up. He is. And he is by far the top player in Great Britain. <laughs> to the chagrin of Annie Murray fans. The dude can play. But when you say he won't stop running in his mouth, what happened? Yeah, so in this match versus Karen Khachanov, they were sniping at each other. They were both yelling at the umpire. It was pure drama the entire time. The, I mean, the chair umpire did make a pretty huge mistake. Actually, several big mistakes. One of which was badly overruled Khachanov ball. That he called out that was well in, which set Hachanov off. It was what the deciding point of the second set. He goes up and kicks the Emirates sign on the net. And then he Pliskova's the chair. He this lumberjacked is, it. This is mid-match. Carolina did it after the match. I mean... I'm not saying one is better than the other. Six of one, half but, a dozen of the but other. But the boldness of doing it during the match where you still have to play. Mm-hmm. It was a more muted lumberjacking than Pliskova's. It was. But but at the same time, you can't be calling one out and not the other. Like, this is still indeed horrendous. I want to be consistent here because we uh, we were rough on Carolina when no, she no, did that. we weren't rough. We were, we were pinpoint, I think. Well, I'm just saying, it would be unfair to give Karen a pass here, even though he apologized right after, which a uh, certain... Yep. Czech tennis player yep. did not. Pliskova did not do that. No. She, she <laughs> looked at it as a branding opportunity. <laughs> However. Which, you know, we're told that's her sense of humor. Whatever, where whatever. the spiel is coming from is because we're seeing a lot of folks find it funny. Right? Mm-hmm. And Karen did, uh, he put an apology on his socials right after the match. It was really quick and it was a good apology. We talk about good and bad apologies. It was not trying to shift the blame to anyone. It was like, I did this. This was bad. I won't do it again. It's really all all you ask of Mm. from an apology. Which we shall see. Some folks say they won't do it again, and then they are still, for example, today, hitting balls behind them without looking (laughs) like Novak Djokovic. It's like... Yes. To to be fair, he said he could not promise that it wouldn't happen again. (laughs) Point of information. Now, you cannot lumberjack the uh, the umpire's chair. This was Umber's second ATP title. Diminar sands the stash. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Praises be that that Hitler moment is over. We have enough problematic stuff going on in the ATP tour without having to look at that. That takes care of all the tennis from, I keep wanting to say this week, right. but the, the most recent week of completed tennis... Sabalenka winning in Ostrava, Zverev winning in the second Cologne event, and then Umber winning in Antwerp. Antwerp, mind you, was the event that Andy Murray won last year. 
Yes, beating Stan Wawrinka in the final. So we talked about Cologne 1. Now in Sardinia, Las Logères beat uh, Cecchinato. So you're going to the week before last week. Yes. Two weeks ago. Now two weeks ago. I was pleased to see Cecchinato with a good result. Because frankly, I mean, we know that he's struggled in slams since his big French Open breakout. But he's also not been able to to progress on the regular tour the way you would hope or expect after such a big breakup moment. And to see him back in a in a big moment like this was was good. Mm-hmm. In St. Petersburg, Russia, home of the famous Flight from Justice this year, Andrei Rublev, <laughs> Andrei Rublev beat Borna George 7-6-6-4 in the final. And with that, Rublev ties Djokovic for the most titles this year with four. He's now 35-7 and seven on the year following his win this week in Vienna. I have noted on the agenda, spotlight on Ruby. This is your chance to go off. <laughs> Do a Ruby bio. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have like a full bio here. You, you all know Ruby and you know that I'm a big fan. It started, I guess it started a few years ago, but really took off when we got to see him in Cincinnati in 2019 when he beat Roger. So he's put together an incredible year and in some ways is catching up and could outpace his countryman, Daniel Medvedev. I mean, this crop of young Russian men is just a great generation. Between Hachanov, Medvedev, Ruby, all have been top 10. Rublev joins the, the other two with his top 10 debut. He's now number 8. He will most likely qualify for the World Tour Finals. He won his 3rd, 4th, 5th, and 6th career title this year. And his first 500, which was in Hamburg, just before Roland Garros, where he beat Stefano Tsitsipas. Um, shout out to a few other players making their top 10 debuts this year. Diego Schwartzman and Denis Shapovalov. Lest we forget with Andrei Rublev, he has a boy band singing background. He has a, a fallback career, if he wants it. There's this video on YouTube of a boy band called Summer Afternoon, and he is credited as Andrew Rublev, I guess for some crossover appeal, for some international flavor. Andre is singing with three other young guys uh, covering One Direction's Steal My Girl. This is awesome, by the way. I have watched the video 15 to 20 times. <laughs> the most recent comment on that YouTube video... <laughs> is unreal this guy rublev just ended federer lol <laughs> the lol is mine actually oh. <laughs> but somebody clearly found this video right after his cincinnati went over federer last year so now that we've gotten through this results portion of this of the show we'll enter the yes or mess segment and i'll begin by making a statement Serena signs Olympia up for tennis lessons. Yes or mess? I guess that's a yes. (laughs) The reason why it's a yes is not because Olympia is taking tennis lessons as a would-be prodigy, given her mother's and her family's athletic prowess, but the way the announcement was made. Mm -hmm. On Serena's Instagram stories, I'm just here for the chronicling of the Olympia tennis lessons. Mm -hmm. 
Serena said she was going to sign up Olympia without letting the instructor know who she was. That part is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I feel that the instructor, once she realizes who Olympia is, is going to feel an immense amount of pressure and she should have the luxury of knowing in advance. Uh-huh. Can you imagine the pressure? And Serena is out here on her Instagram saying, you know, I'm very much about technique, so I need to know that this lady is teaching the correct technique. Yes. Who Who is going to teach Serena's service motion better than Richard Williams or Serena Williams? I mean, to a three-year-old, it's really not that deep. So, <laughs> no. like, I hope everybody who is involved is a, takes it hands, one step at a time. Hands off. <laughs> Serena's out here uh, incognito, dropping off Olympia lessons in her mask. Uh, I mean, how could anyone not know that that's Serena Williams? There are several rather defining features. I'm just going to move on from that. <laughs> To this mess of the Race to London rankings. Yeah, so I mentioned a moment ago that Rublev is most likely qualified for the ATP uh, World Tour Finals this year. You know, the rankings have been thrown into a bit of disarray because of COVID. Now they're operating under this best 18 thing from 2019 to 2020. So uh, your best results between the two years, there's all these, we've talked about the rules before. But basically, you can count results from 2019 if they're part of your best. The thing is, this complicates the, the race to London. And so the ATP for this year has stopped using the branding race to London because it is confusing and misleading for this year and going strictly with the rankings. The issue here is that the 2019 rankings have already determined the World Tour Finals list from last year. Like that mm -hmm. tournament has already been played, right? If you qualified last year, you made it. This year, you're taking 2020 and 2019 results and factoring that into someone's overall ranking. To me, that is, it's redundant and a little bit unfair if you've had an exceptional 2020. Is there a, I know there's a counterpoint. Do you have it? <laughs> with COVID, with playing tennis in a pandemic, the issue of fairness with many things comes into question. This is yet another instance where that rings true. Time and time again, we see that getting tennis players back on the court means getting top tennis players back on the court. Mm. Giving opportunities to tennis players, giving money to tennis players means giving it to the top tennis players. And I, I feel like this way about dealing with the London rankings and qualifying only exacerbates that concern. Having an alternate suggestion, a solution to that, I don't know if I do. But I just, I wonder if part of this was, well, do we do we do it as we normally do and take the risk of getting to this London event and having a bunch of scrubs there? Ooh. No offense to lower ranked players, but that would be the, the thinking mm. I'm wondering about. Do we want to have somebody like... Well, you can say it. I mean... The players who have excelled this year, especially the second portion of this season, have been people like Pablo Carreño Busta, Diego Schwartzman, um, Denis Shapovalov, like people who have improved on their ranking greatly in the current year. If if it was only current year rankings, had a good chance to qualify based on only the current year. Does, does the ATP want that to be their finals lineup? 
So that's the cynical way to look at it. Yeah, I mean, there's there was really no chance that somebody like Mosetti would make it, but to have a, a player have a Cinderella run like that and have no name recognition at this big banner event for your tour when so many of the event organizers have suffered greatly in their pocket. Yeah. So, one, the ATP needs to make money from this tournament. Secondly, and less cynically, the players haven't had the equal opportunity and certainly not equal outcomes in this COVID year, right? Some players have tested positive for COVID and had to stop playing. Not every player has been able to show their best tennis for a number of reasons this year. And taking both 2019 and 2020 points does sort of even the playing field a little bit. It's going to work out worse for some players and better for others. Medvedev hasn't had an exceptional year, but he had an exceptional 2019. You know, so he's he is maybe one of the more advantaged based on this. And then on the flip side of that, with the freezing of the rankings, you have a lot of players who will stay at the top of the game much longer than they would have. And you have a lot of players who are having the best results of their careers, making breakthroughs, but can't make what you would think would be the corresponding breakthroughs in the rankings Mm -hmm. because of it. And some players have been pushing for a two-year ranking permanently. Rafa Nadal is the most famous example. And you can see these are the pros and cons. The, The con is that it takes a lot to have a dramatic rise in the rankings. Speaking of Mr. Nadal... Fresh off his sixth place finish at the Balearic Golf Championships. <laughs> he has just surpassed Jimmy Connors with the most consecutive weeks in the top 10 in men's tennis. Mm-hmm. That is superfluous to this yes or mess. Mm-hmm. But I felt like it merited a, a mention. He has announced that he will be playing the Paris Masters. Yes to that. It's one of the three, I think, Masters events that he hasn't won. And there was speculation as to whether he was shut down his season after winning the French Open for a 13th time. But it seems that he'll play Paris. And if he is playing Paris, I imagine he'll play London as well. Otherwise, why? Yeah. The biggest mess, the biggest mess of them all is one Mr. Sam Query, who Mm -hmm. set off a where in the world is Carmen Sandiego kind of scenario after testing positive for COVID-19, in fact, his entire family, his wife and his child, testing positive for COVID-19 at the St. Petersburg event, and then deciding in the middle of the night to flee the country on a private jet. (laughs) Breaking breaking ATP rules, ATP protocol, breaking government protocol in Russia to flee to some, some part unknown. Undisclosed country near the Baltic Sea, not necessarily on it. So Sam tested positive for COVID before his first match in St. Petersburg, so he never actually played. His wife and his eight-month-old son also eventually tested positive. They were instructed to quarantine for 14 days in the St. Petersburg Four Seasons. The tournament and the government health agency arranged for doctors to come to the hotel two times and two times Sam Query would not let them in the room. There was a a physician and a pediatrician. The tournament said, despite prior agreement, Sam refused to let the doctors in. So according to Ben Rothenberg, Sam was under the impression that if he or his family showed symptoms, that they would be forced to go into the hospital in St. Petersburg. 
And this is why he fled the country. Mind you, there's U.S. embassies in Russia designed for this kind of thing. Uh, They have hospitals in St. Petersburg. They didn't tell him he had to go in yet. Because remember, he did not let the doctors in the room. And so the tournament uh, and the local government health agency eventually was preparing to transfer Sam to these private apartments for the rest of the isolation period. And on October 15th, at 5.45 a.m., the Quarry family disappeared. They got on a private jet and left the country. Shortly after that report came out on Twitter, the tournament offered their own statement, which actually made Sam look even worse Mm -hmm. (laughs) when more facts started to come out. And we don't know where he is, what the ATP is going to do. It's Um, called a serious breach. Right. The the ATP didn't mention to their members that there will be an investigation. Uh, but what is happening? This is a salacious story, right? It's it's something that is super gossipy. It's tempting to just sit here and laugh at it and just marvel in how wild the story is for a tennis story. Right. But I mean, there's intrigue, there's this Cold War drama. There are American tennis fans saying, why wouldn't you flee Russia if they tried to hospitalize you? There are people saying, why would you bring your infant child in the middle of a pandemic to this event, to Russia, to whatever? (laughs) To anywhere. Right. Setting all that aside, what we have as well is a tour that has gone to great lengths to have these events happen in the middle of a pandemic. And this one player who can't see the forest for his very tall tree (laughs) has decided to put all that in jeopardy because these tournaments and the tour are are making arrangements with international governments to have these events happen and now this this potentially could put things in jeopardy for future events right and also makes the atp look really bad that they cannot control their own people It does have a lot of thematic elements of a Bond film. The Cold War politics. This is like a great escape. You have the overarching context of current U.S.-Russia relations. You have someone fulfilling these awful American stereotypes about the rules not applying to them in other countries, that local laws are not relevant to them. It's a bizarre situation. It's somebody who clearly acted out of self-interest and self-preservation. But again... If you weren't comfortable bringing your infant child to this tournament, why did you? When you knew this was a possibility. I mean, at this point, Americans criticizing other countries' responses to COVID is absolutely wild. Nikolos Basilashvili. <laughs> this is not a yes. So I don't, I don't know if we have talked about this on the show before. We have. We've mentioned it. Okay, so Basilashvili, over the summer, was charged with assault against his ex-wife. So he's still been playing and everything. He's made court appearances. Playing very poorly. Yes. Mind you. Very poorly. Horrendous Uh, tennis. And in his home country of Georgia, this is actually being viewed in a larger context of the problem of domestic violence going uh, silenced for so many years. So now one of Georgia's biggest sportsmen is in the news for allegedly assaulting his wife and... It's changing the conversation in the country about uh, spousal violence. We're talking about this now because 
there's been this sense over the last few months of what's going to happen here. Why haven't we heard anything more about this case? Is it just something that is going to go away? And this reporting from Reuters makes it very clear that this issue is not going away for Mr. Basilashvili. That, like you said, it's become a cultural touchstone in Georgia. The article makes mention that one of seven women in Georgia face domestic abuse at the hands of their male partners. And with this, the way the story is being framed, it seems in Georgia, he has his supporters, she has her detractors, and this story is going to be part of hopefully moving the, the, the discourse in Georgia forward. It's t- it seems to have taken on a much bigger importance than just like another tennis off the court story. A big yes for me is Sergio Garcia is going to be making his professional tennis debut playing doubles alongside Amir Delic. Garcia is getting ready to play the Masters. I think that's starting next week. It's early November from what I remember. And he's playing this tournament, the HEB Tennis Classic in in Texas alongside Delic. Does Sergio play tennis? I don't know. I didn't know this. Possibly. Uh, Obviously, I mean, if he's going to be putting himself in in the spotlight at a professional Mm -hmm. tennis tournament, obviously the stakes are a lot smaller playing doubles, but he's still, I believe, in his 40s or close to 40 by now. If I do the math, he was like 20 at the 99 PGA, so he should be at least 39 by now. Mm -hmm. I wish I could find a stream of it somewhere. I hope there's video (laughs) that comes out from from this event. Yulia Gerges announced her retirement this week. Yeah, she's the first of that great German generation. Kerber, Petkovic, Lisicki, all three of them are still active players. Gerges is uh, 31, I think, which these days is fairly young for a tennis player to retire. And she had a, a big resurgence in 2018, reaching the semifinal at Wimbledon, her career high inside the top 10 at number nine. She was uh, very often an ace leader or at the top of the serve stats, seven times a titleist on the WTA, including Zhuhai uh, beating Coco Vandway in 2017. And she reached the fourth round or better at slam seven times. Seems to be universally beloved on the WTA. Mm -hmm. I have never heard anybody say a word bad about Yulia Gerges. And on top of that, it seems that even in her younger days, she compared... She comported herself like an adult on tour. And by that, I mean, when you're interviewing somebody, you, you can, you can kind of tell where their emotional maturity level is at. Mm. And that's often stunted when you're a professional athlete. I think even more so as a professional tennis player, when you start so young, you tend to not go to college. You tend to not have a quote-unquote formal education. But Yulia Gerges... She just always seemed to know what she was about. And for her, right now is the time to to move on to something else. I think there are times when her seeming prodigious talent didn't meet or match her results. Mm. Some folks may want to call her an underachiever. But with her retirement, she's joining this list of, of retirements in 2020 that we expect to only grow by the end of the year. Caroline Wojniacki already retired in 2020. That seems like forever ago. Mm -hmm. Sharapova was this year as well. 
you mean Vic Meyer is off having a baby or will be soon. I said biggest mess with the Sam Quarry thing, but perhaps the biggest mess is naturally Boris Becker. Perhaps you are the biggest mess for <laughs> dragging his financial problems into the podcast. No, no, no. Boris Becker makes his personal business everybody's business by being in everybody else's business. <laughs> That's true. That's true. If Boris minded his own business, this would be not not as interesting. Uh, so he already had 19 counts against him uh, associated with failure to pay his debts. He's declared bankruptcy. And with that, you have all these obligations. He was required to hand over his tennis trophies, his Grand Slam trophies. The 85 Wimbledon it's, trophy where he intense. was the youngest ever that's, champion at Wimbledon. Yeah. Diving across the court. This lanky ball of effervescence on the Wimbledon lawns. That's that's a lot to have to sell your Grand Slam trophies. These were a part of the bankruptcy ruling mm-hmm. to pay as creditors. And once your scheme to claim immunity from the courts... <laughs> Diplomatic immunity. When, once your scheme has not proven fruitful, then this is what happens. This was, he, was, he was supposed to do this. He didn't do it. And what's more, he's charged with hiding assets. Yes. Property, money, trophies, and not being on the up and up with the authorities. The trophies have not materialized. Uh, they have not been sent over to be auctioned off. And so now there are nine additional counts added to those 19 against him for failing to disclose money, property, and debts. And he could actually face prison time yeah. if convicted. Like, I didn't realize it was this bad. No, it was always this bad. Where were you? But it seems like it's been stretching on It just seems like he forever. was not taking it seriously. Well, I mean... He thought he was the Boris Becker. Yeah. On that note, thank you for listening to episode 210 of The Body Serve. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. This is The Body Serve at The Body Serve on Twitter, Instagram. Type it into your search engine. You'll find whatever you need to find about us. Thank you to the folks who've been giving us reviews on iTunes. We thoroughly appreciate those. Look out for our pop culture episode that's hopefully coming by the weekend. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank you very much. Thank you.